This interview is also available on HD Video, exclusively for all Veritas members inside our interviews and TV sections of our website at VeritasRadio.com. The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. We are all part of the Rothschild education system that teaches us how to be able to sit still for eight hours a day because of textbook and test lobbying. They even overload our children so they don't have time to be creative or explore the world. Getting them into too many sports or activities prevents the family from having meals together. They convince you to take a job, go to college, to get good health care, to work until you die. Meanwhile, convincing you of things like contributing to 401ks, but preventing you from knowing the details of where the banks actually put your money to work for them, not you. They convince you of the American dream to own a home and keep you stuck in the system. Advertisements everywhere over consumerism keep you stuck in the loop, convinces you that you aren't good enough unless you have or can show you have this or that luxury item. It perpetuates the grass is always greener mentality. The idea that there's always something better that we are missing. And when it comes to music, the industry promotes over-consumerism and sexism in the lyrics. It glorifies crime. And as we've explored many times on this radio program, most of the music around the world has been tuned from A432 Hertz to A440 Hertz. A440 makes you feel tired, antisocial, depressed and is overall unhealthy. Tonight, we'll discuss how to do the work to find shadow and integrating it, to look at patterns from childhood, to uninstall faulty patterns, to unlearn what we've learned, to know you're worthy without needing outside validation, codependency in relationships, business. And did you know mental health is caused by the system? The structure we're forced into is unnatural and finding and gaining mental wealth is not supported by the system. In the past, you only worked a few hours per day and had time to explore, be with family, create and run a home in small villages. Food, pesticides, cancer are rampant because of lobbying. Other countries don't even allow these ingredients in their foods. Major brands use different ingredients in the same foods in other countries because of what's banned there versus it not being banned here. We are more than they are. Tonight, we'll level things up. Stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Bridget Brick has almost a decade in the mortgage industry, recently specializing in investment property loans. She's passionate about this as a means for the everyday American to find and have freedom for the matrix system of a nine-to-five job. Her why in helping people escape the matrix is what drives her to share not only financial wealth tips, but also spiritual wealth tips that she calls bricks of knowledge. She knows this because she's lifted and has plenty to share between her personal story and from getting knocked down in business a few times, but still finding major success. Her past business experience includes some time in the tech industry, helping startups raise capital for Series A funding, and working with the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise Office to launch three startups in the North American market. In between, she's also had five businesses and has a knack for noticing and picking up trends in the market. What she's found in this business, lending on investment properties that she didn't find in her other businesses, is a strong connection to her purpose of raising the vibration of the collective by teaching them both spiritual and financial aspects to help them find the truths inside themselves and to establish freedom for themselves and their families. 
website is trustcapital.com. Trust with two U's. And directly from sunny Miami, Florida, my former home ground, I'm delighted to welcome for the first time on this platform, Bridget Brick. Hello, Bridget, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Thank you for having me. Very good. My pleasure, Bridget. I'm so pleased you were able to come onto our program. I bumped into one of your videos a few months ago and really enjoyed your content. For being so young, you seem to have acquired a lot of wisdom. But it wasn't until a few weeks ago when I noticed that you discuss much more than personal finance. You are truly awake. And since this is your first time here, tell us your story. Who is Bridget Brick? Tell us about your journey from the beginning. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, From the beginning, I grew up in a blue-collar household um, with my parents who didn't have education past high school. But it was instilled in me to to seek a higher education so that I could seek a lifestyle outside of and above what I had growing up. So I appreciate my parents for that. And of course, I took the path to go to university, as many people do, because I bought into the idea that university is how you have that, you know, upper middle class, middle class and upper middle class lifestyle. And so I went to university and I was just so bored during the whole stint at, at you at University of Tennessee. It was a great school. Don't get me wrong. And you learn a lot of things when you're that independent and, you know, you have roommates and you have a job and you have to manage class schedule. So there are some great things to learn while being at the age of being at university and being independent. What I learned, though, is that I did not use my degree very much after graduating and I'll take you back to a little bit before that. Um, my parents did instill in me an understanding of building credit, of having good credit, being able to utilize credit. So at least I had those aspects and understood the importance of working and paying car payments and, and bills on time. So I went to university with this sort of understanding, and I always wanted to have my own business. Now, what university did allow me to do is get a you know corporate job after graduation that I would not have been qualified for had I not gone to university. So at the age and time frame that I graduated, that was really the path forward into the middle-class life. And so I took it. Now what you'll see is that whatever you're interested in, you can find a lot of that information online and give yourself a niche education. Now, so long as it's not something like doctor, accountant, engineer, things like that. But for the most part, if it's something that's a little more creative or a little more open, like entrepreneurship, you can find the resources you need by not going to university and not spending your money and time on that. And really what I found is after my corporate job, um, I took an even more corporate job and that was with pharmaceutical sales. And so I maybe lasted there for about 10 or 11 months and I, I couldn't stomach it anymore. Because every fiber of my being did not align with what I was being paid to do. And I realized that trying to sell, I guess, push medications into doctors' hands to be able to to prescribe to patients for a symptom that I believed could be solved through more natural methods just didn't, it didn't align with me. And I would, I'm telling you, there are nights I would come home and I would just cry I was so frustrated with what I was doing. Mind you, I was being paid very good money. I had a free car. I had a free cell phone. I had a laptop. You know, I worked from home, so I didn't have to go into an office every day. I set my own schedule, which you still had to work. But what I'm saying is it was a very ideal on paper situation. And it's very easy to get sucked into that and want to stay. And I still found discord with it. So much so that I quit before even a year of working there. And I went to startups. And in the startup world, I worked with tech startups that were brand new. And what's interesting is they were just as corporate, but in a different way. So you would, you know, have your nine to five expectations. You would set your own schedule, drive to appointments, things like that. And if you, the pressure from tech was if you didn't hit your numbers, your quota, your goals, then you were, you were able to be, you were disposable really. And 
I didn't like that feeling either because there's so much pressure and you're not getting to really live life to the fullest because you come home from working hours and you still have work to do in order to stay up with the numbers and the ROIs and the KPIs and everything. And so from there, I quit that also after about nine months and launched my own business. And it was my first business. And I've had a few businesses from there, but I was able to establish my businesses, become an offsite owner with these businesses. And then I was able to go take on different projects. And so what I realized is I really liked the, the project life, the, the life. I liked the, the nomadic worker life where you could take on a project, work for a little while, move to the next project. But the interesting thing is when I was doing this, this was not heavily supported in the workforce. And so I would find that if I would go to another project, they would ask what I had done in between projects. And it's almost like the entire country and employers expect you to work, work, work all the time and never have the freedom in between. And so I found that to be interesting. And the story goes on, you know, I've had quite a few other businesses, uh, for others to be exact, leading up to the one that I have now. Also, while working with many tech startups in order to help them raise funding. In 2019, I was a speaker at San Diego Startup Week, where later that summer, I became San Diego 40 Under 40 for the work that I was doing in the startup world. And then the pandemic hit. And right before the world shut down, I went to Bali with my friends. And it was really in 2020, that year in January, that I started my spiritual journey, my spiritual awakening. And through meditation, through journaling, through understanding the science behind, I guess, the art of what you can't measure, I I dove deeper into my spiritual journey. And our trip to Bali right before the world shut down really drove me deeper into my spirituality in healing past wounds and facing the traumas that I had not been wanting to face and the pain that I had not been wanting to face. And so I left what I was doing and I had built a consulting company and everything. And I just threw my hands in the air and said, I don't really like this either. I'm just going to go travel for a little while. So my group of friends and I traveled for about nine months um, from the pandemic. We went to Mexico at least six or seven times. I went to see my family quite a lot. And coming out of the pandemic, I did a project with a company who does investment property loans. They specialize in that. And so what I did with startups is I was a COO on demand. I was an operations manager that would help put your operations in line such that your company was able to scale if it had an infusion of money or capital. And so my expertise was really in the operations field. And so this company asked me to help them scale so that they could hire other employees and grow their company. And after learning that and being in that industry and then having my own network and finding my own network outside of that company, I launched my own brokerage. And that's what I've been doing since then. And the difference, because this is my fifth business, right? So why did I have all the others? And why is this one different than the than the others? Why is this the successful one? The difference is I am very much in touch with my why. Why I love to get up and do this every day. And my why is that I want to help people escape the matrix system, the nine to five system, the rat race. And I want them to be able to put their money to work for them. I don't want them to have to work for money their entire lives. And the, and the way that I do that is by providing investment property loans so that they can purchase real estate, gain that equity and find themselves in a wealthy position when it is time to retire. And so that's the biggest difference is, is I finally, once I opened my heart with my spiritual journey in 2020, opened up to my, my heart to what was possible and opened up to something that solidified my purpose in my why. And that's why I've been so successful with this so far. That's a great story. And by the way, I have a similar story. I mean, my parents, blue collar parents, they, in my case, they escaped communism and they instilled in me to, to never ask for, for uh, to never be dependent on the government, to always use education to, to my favor, to have good credit, to keep your promises, to be self-reliant and all those things. But you and I worked in the belly of the beast, and now we are deconstructing it. Would that be a good way to say it? A really great word. Decondition, deconstruct, all of it. Unlearn. <laughs> So Bali, Bali, I, I saw your video, your initiation there. You didn't bump into Sasha Stone, a good friend of this program, who has a, a lot of presence there in, in Bali. You didn't? I didn't. I didn't. Mm -mm. So 
when you were in the corporate world, when you were in the education system at the University of Tennessee, I also went to college. And, and honestly, mm-hmm. I just don't know sometimes, did I have to go to college? It seems that it's part of the program. A lot of people go mm-hmm. into college with a lot of debt. They come out of yeah. college now. I mean, look, and we're going to be discussing the mortgage industry, the real estate industry. A lot of these young people coming out of four or five-year bachelor degree with $100,000. And if they have a graduate degree, sometimes $250, half a million dollars, sometimes because they want to go to an Ivy League uh, university. So what's going to happen with those people when they realize that what they went to college for, uh, you know, the, the, the majors that they, they, they elected to, to study uh, are not what's going to be paying the bills? So it's interesting. University at the time that I went, which was 2002, I went from 2002 to 2006. When I went to university, you couldn't get one of those corporate jobs without having gone to university. Oftentimes they would overlook you. They wouldn't even look at your resume. So if you want to be plugged into a corporate job and corporate system and have a very normal middle-class life, maybe it's not a bad idea. But if you if you feel like something isn't right every day when you wake up, this can't be it. This can't be how society works. This I I'm not supposed to wake up every day for the rest of my working life and do this every single day. I'm meant to explore the world and explore food and travel and other people and community and arts and laughter and dance and play everything. Right. So when you. When you finally wake up with that realization, then you realize maybe the path that I was on wasn't really the right path after all. And it might take you 10 years like it took me of going down that very structured path in order to come to that realization. So let me back up a little bit. I was one of those kids that was like perfect on paper. I mean, I graduated in the top 10 in my high school class. I worked 30 hours a week while I was at university. I was the number one salesperson at university because I did mortgages while I was in college. So I worked for a mortgage company in college. I was always the top one or two salesperson. And then I was promoted to the manager. And, you know, the team always did well, right? We always hit our numbers. And so I was a very driven person, always following the rules from a very young age. Now, I met someone from my hometown and we dated all through university. He was a, a couple class years ahead of me, so he'd already graduated. And we got married straight away. And he went into the military as a Navy SEAL. And we, you know, like we got married right after university. And so I had that very structured life of, okay, you meet the person you're supposed to marry, you marry them, you know, right after university is over, you start a family, you buy a house, you have your corporate jobs with your corporate salary. And, you know, he had his, his salary as well. And so you, you start down the middle class path and then things start to happen where you realize that this isn't the path for you but you're already so far down it that sometimes the uncomfort of breaking that path is is not enough to break you out of it. And so you might be a person who stays in that uncomfort your entire life, but then you get to the end of it, 50, 60, 70 years old, you're in retirement age, and you wondered, what the heck did I do with my life? Or like me, you get to a breaking point and you realize everything you did, even down to the furniture you bought for your house, was what you thought you were supposed to do based on society's expectations and based on what you think others will think. And so when I finally admitted to myself, this isn't working at all. And there were things in the marriage that were like red flags for a long time um, that I just ignored because I bought into the Bible Belt mindset of, well, once you're married, you've got to stick by the person for as long as it takes. And, and you have to stand by them no matter what, no matter how they're treating you or what they're going through or or anything. You know, you this is what you do. And, you know, so I bought into that whole thing and stayed in that marriage longer than I should have. And finally, everything deconstructed itself. And I left that marriage. I sold our home in 2017, the one that we had remodeled. I filed for divorce in 2018. I, at this point, had my own uh, company, my own cookie company, my first company, and was also working for the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise Office on a project. So I had my own income separate and outside of him, which I've always worked. So that wasn't an issue. 
Um, but I, I, I really looked at my life and I asked myself, okay, if you never, Bridget, get married and have kids, if you never get married again and you never have kids, are you okay leaving this? Because at the time I thought that this was the only path, this person, this life that I had created was the only path to marriage and children and the white picket fence and everything that you're told to love and everything that you're told that you want. And when I finally admitted to myself that I would be much, much happier if I never got married again and never had kids, I would be so much happier than staying in this. That is when I chose myself and chose my own path. And it has been a whirlwind since then, something that I'm so happy. I couldn't be happier with my life. I've been the happiest I've ever been, but it took work. It was a couple years of, of difficulty, right? Emotional difficulty. And I had my heart closed and, you know, I wasn't open to feeling things and I was jumping into escapism and a lot of things that you see people do. And thankfully I had a mind enough to know when I could step in and step out of it. But after about two years of this escapism and then trying to, you know, date other people and not really feeling any connection with anyone, that is what started me on my spiritual journey. And so my point with all of this is you can subscribe to that perfect life like I did, and you can do everything you thought you think you should do. I mean, I worked 30 hours a week in university and graduated summa cum laude while lifting weights two hours a day. I was a machine as to what I thought I was supposed to be doing, right? I came out and got married and bought the house and had the corporate job and had the, the free car and the cell phone and all the things, right? Two weeks vacation a year. And it still wasn't what made me happy at the end of the day. And so those are usually there'll be a trigger point where you'll wake up and realize this is not all I thought it was supposed to be. I'm not happy with these decisions that everybody else makes that I think I'm supposed to make. And this is going to be a full spectrum interview. And if I might say this, I know that you recently lost your father and mm -hmm. our condolences. And you're going to help us overcoming grief and loss. And obviously you have had a lot of experience with this and you I'm looking at a shining star. I can tell you this right now. Um, but just an example, I left the corporate world almost 12 years, many years ago. I wanted to be a business owner because that's what you've been told. You know, want to be an entrepreneur. So I started mm -hmm. buying businesses and I didn't like this one. I sold it. Didn't like the other one. I sold it. But one day I was on the beaches of Mexico, like you were, you know, many times. And I was sitting on the beach and I'm, I have a notepad with me. This is 1999 or 2000. And I'm thinking... What a great place to be. I wish I could have a business that brought people here, give them laughter and, and memories. And I started writing down, what could it be? And I bought my first property on the beach there. And then I decided, what if I created a vacation rental company? And first you have to believe it, yeah. visualize it, and then it materializes. And that's what has been the last 20 some years have been a whirlwind of you visualize it, you believe it, and you take action. Those two words, take action action. Mm -hmm. yep. So I'll touch on the passing of my father. Um, if we go back to my childhood and you asked me about my childhood, I had an amazing childhood. I had so much fun. There was laughter. There was play. We made food. We baked cakes. My parents stayed married all throughout my childhood. Now, if you were to ask me to really ask me, well, what was, what was your, what were your parents like? What were your, what was your father like? Because that's where a lot of our wounding comes from as females. The truth is he was an alcoholic until I was probably four or five years old. And then after that, he decided to quit alcohol, cold turkey. And you have to understand if you've been drinking like that or taking drugs or, or, or anything, your neurochemicals in your brain, your neurotransmitters, your neurotransmitters are not going to be okay and able to cope with now taking that thing away. So he just quit alcohol, cold turkey, and that sent his brain into haywire. And he had every diagnosis under the sun. I mean, basically diagnosis, that shit crazy, if I can say that. Ah, paranoid schizophrenic, bipolar, manic depressive, everything. And at the time, don't really know, doctors didn't really have the tools to understand what was going on. And so they gave him such a cocktail of medicines that he would either be on his medicines and asleep in his recliner or at work. But there was no in-between. He was never awake otherwise. He basically slept his entire life away. And there was an episode when I was young where in one of his drunken fits of rage, 
he threw a coffee table across the house. And, you know, I'm tiny and devastated that the man, you know, men are supposed to provide for and protect everyone around them, including women and children. That's what's written into men's DNA. And I looked at him and realized at a very young age, men, what got wired into me is men don't protect me. I must fend for myself, number one. Number two, I can't rely on a man. And number three, I can't trust men. And that, unfortunately, is the patterning that I carried that was written into my subconscious, written to my computer program, if you will, from a very young age. And that's what I carried with me through my marriage, who I chose as a husband into 2018, 2019. And then it wasn't until 2020 that I started my spiritual work and recognized where this patterning came from. Right now, as a result of this patterning, what it made me do or who it made me become was a hyper independent perfectionist who was slightly over masculinized as a woman. If you look back through some of my videos, I, I, I think there might be some uh, I wore, you know, T-shirts and male structured slacks. And I would even go to the men's section by men's belt. And the way that I would speak and stand, um, my energy, the energetic output I would have was very masculine and shield and guarded. Now, as a result of appearing that way, very easily could have been viewed as manipulative. You know, I'm trying to hide something in order to get something out of you, which is not the case, but that could be the perception. And so that kind of takes you to, to through my childhood with my father. And, you know, I found myself, believe it or not, as a very young child, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, counseling my father because he would be in a paranoid delusion thinking that the neighbors were bugging the phone to listen to his phone calls. And I looked at him and said one time, what makes you so important that people in town would want to record you? I mean, as a child to come to those conclusions and be counseling a parent. So it really flipped the patterning on us, right? And as we got into adulthood, my mother and father, okay, let me back up. As we got into adulthood, my father had had two paranoid delusions. They were, they were, he's, he was schizophrenic in the persecutory manner, which means that he would have delusions thinking that people were persecuting him. That's the per persecutory part. And he would believe these delusions in his mind, that world was very real and it was happening. The problem is the two times in my lifetime that this happened, he always viewed other people as the persecutors. And this third time, I was an adult. By this point, I was married. My husband was gone on deployment. I'd bought a home and was re my husband and I had bought a home and we were remodeling it. So I was in the middle of a new job. I had a new puppy at the time. She's still with me. I was living in a remodel house and my dad is going crazy. And he's decided that in this delusion, my mom and I were the persecutors. You know, we had taken all this money and hidden it somewhere in an account, which was not true. But he was so convinced of it that we were afraid for my mom's safety to be in the same home. And I just looked at her and I said, mom, you need to get divorced. You got to you got to get divorced. This isn't safe. And she agreed. And so she left him about a week or two after I told her this. And his patterning was obviously something happened in his childhood where he didn't have control. So his patterning was to be slightly manipulative, a little bit narcissistic and to control those around him. So he'd had my mom under his control all these years. So she left. Well, the only other female in his life he could control now was me. And he would call and say things like, oh, well, if you don't call me back by midnight, I'm going to commit suicide. And he did this often, like three, four, five times. And, you know, it would get me really upset. I would call back. And of course, he was just in his mind. He was manic, he, you know, crazy. And he just wanted to have the control of knowing I would call. And so finally, I looked at him or I talked, I, I was in. San Diego at the time, and he was still in Tennessee. So I, I said over the phone, listen, I don't want you to commit suicide at all. But if you do that, that is fully on you. And that is not my responsibility. You can't call me and say this anymore. And so that was the last time he said it because he realized his manipulation wasn't working on me anymore. So I share this story because I want to tell you the type of dynamic we were in when I decided to completely stop talking to him altogether. It was a little bit later that year. I couldn't handle it anymore. And I just cut off all of his phone calls. Now he had gotten his entire family stirred up in his delusion and they were starting to harass me. So at this point I had cut off an entire side of my family. 
And you have to realize that you have the worthiness to cut out anyone who isn't serving you and who's bringing you down into a negative energy, accusing you of things and gaslighting you of things that are not true, especially about yourself and that are not happening. And so we went for about 10 years without speaking. And I, during the 10 years, got divorced. I, you know, obviously sold my home. I had switched jobs multiple times. I started two or three other businesses during this time. And I used to have the attitude of, I'm fine. I just, I don't care about him. Like whatever happens to him, good for him, whatever. Right. And it was just a really, a negative energy around it. Now, remember I told you in 2019, I had gone on a couple of dates. Um, you know, I was 40, 40 under 40 that year, gone on a couple of dates, you know, I'm on a high to me in my mind, I'm, I'm, a, a worthy mate, right? But I'm going on these dates and I can't find a connection with anyone. Finally, I said, gosh, like the common denominator here is me. Something's wrong. <laughs> like maybe I should do some work or look internally. So my roommate at the time I was living with an optometrist. We had a beautiful penthouse, um, you know, on the top floor and we could overlook the entire city down to the water. So I had a really beautiful setting and I really, I trusted her because of the type of life that she had when I moved in. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about starting the spiritual journey. I really don't know where to start. She said, why don't you give my medium a call? A lot of times God or the universe will speak through other people. And some people have been chosen to operate on a higher frequency in order to receive those messages, which we call mediums or psychics. I said, yeah, that's a great idea. I call her. She immediately could read somehow on my body or however she reads it. Well, she said, if you don't forgive your father, you're going to end up as in the same fate as your mother. And I thought, well, I already have ended up in the same fate as my mother. I'm already divorced. And she said, well, if you don't forgive your father, you're going to con- continue the pattern. You need to do the work. And I thought, what does that mean? And this is mid-December. And so, you know, whatever, I give it some thought, like Google do, doing the work. What does doing the work mean? So I go home and go to my family. You know, we have a big family Christmas. 16 of us get together in a cabin every year. It's amazing. And I decided at the end of that trip, all right, I think I'm going to try and do this work. Well, let me figure out what it is. And so I go and I'm at the mall in January, having my makeup done. I'm talking with the makeup gal about, you know, the various dates I had been on, how I didn't feel a connection. Someone that I had dated maybe a year prior was popping up and really wasn't sure what to do about it. And she said, I think you need to do the work. And I thought, wow, this is the second time I've heard that. And see, I have a, I have an understanding with God universe. If you tell me something twice in a really short time, I know the message is meant for me. And here's how I know that back at university, we made this deal. I was sitting in class and I had switched from the university of Alabama to the university of Tennessee at the time. And I had run out of all of my my money. My parents had gotten a loan and I had been able to pay it with my jobs, my various jobs, but the loan was about to run out and I had no money to pay for university whatsoever. I had no living expenses, nothing. We didn't know what we were going to do because my parents didn't have enough money and couldn't qualify for another loan. So I'm sitting in Mark um, accounting class and I happened to be sitting by someone where it was assigned seat stay. And this is my seatmate for the rest of the year. Well, on the next class, she said, hey, I'm having a Bible study. Why don't you come to my Bible study tomorrow night? And I thought, yeah, sure, I'll go. I go to the Bible study and mind you, I pull up and there's all these Mercedes and Land Rovers and Audis, right? So this was like a rich girl. She had a townhouse on the water. I am not a rich girl. My parents are blue collar workers and I'm almost out of money. So I go in and I'm meeting her group of friends for the first time. And they're all talking about the coach bags they gave each other for Christmas last year. I'm setting the context for this because coach, what are you talking about? I can give you a bottle of lotion from Bath and Body Works. <laughs> so we sit down, you know, we, we have our snacks, we talk, we have a person from her church coming to lead prayer. And when it's time to pray, the person says, the, the leader, she says, is there anyone who needs anything to be prayed for? And the girls were like, oh, let's pray for Sarah and John. They're struggling in their relationship. Oh, let's pray for so-and-so. She's has a really hard test coming up, you know, in my mind shallow things compared to what I was going through. And so, you know, we pray, we bow our heads and pray. And the lady says, no, really, I see a lonely coin rolling down the street. Is there anyone who's having money trouble that I need to pray for? And so I thought, oh my gosh, okay. My hand shot up and I was like, okay, look, 
my loan money is about to run out. I, um, I need, you know, a better job than what I have. I'm only making $10 an hour, et cetera. There happened to be a girl in the Bible study that night who never came back to the Bible study who said, oh, you should come work for my company. And if you get hired, I get $500. You can make $15 an hour plus $1,500 bonuses. And so, of course, I went to the interview. I got the job. And that is how it was a mortgage job. And that's how I ended up being able to pay for all of my living expenses and stay at university. So that was the anchor point where I knew when God and the universe has a message for me, they I will be given that message twice in a very short time frame. So now fast forward to my story. Here we are in 2020, makeup's being done. Gal says, you need to do the work. And I thought, here's the second time I'm hearing this. I got to figure out what this means. And so that's what had me dive into all of this spiritual healing, going back to past patterns, looking at where my pattern came from, from the type of person mate I was attracting, the type of guy I married. It's the same pattern, you know, alcoholic slightly narcissistic, a little bit manipulative, would gaslight in order to have control. I married the same pattern as my father. And that will happen to anyone based on what their childhood pattern is. And so I started to recognize that. And then there were some more healing modalities that I would do. So fast forward to Bali, you know, in February of 2020, we saw a medium there and she pulled cards. And then after seeing that medium, we went to an energetic release, a somatic release ceremony where they pour flowers and water over the top of your head and they make you shout and scream and shake. So that, you know, like raw as, as deep and hard as you can. And I just, I felt a little bit of something, but they said, you didn't get it all. You've got to do it again. So I did it again, like broad and shaking and they're pouring the flowers and the water over my head. And at this point, I envisioned this black cloud coming out of me, all this patterning I had been holding. And after that moment, I kind of slumped, you know, over, I was extremely exhausted after that release. And so they had me do it one more time. And after the third time, I felt light as a butterfly. And that's when I really knew I was onto something with this energy work and this healing work. So then we went to a yoga class a few days later and it was a hip opener yoga class. Now hip openers can release stuck emotions. I ended up crying the entire time, the second half of the class. And I realized I was crying over the loss of the marriage. I was crying over the idea and all the things that I had bought into that I would have as a result of being married that I wasn't going to have anymore. Now, Meanwhile, my father had texted me and expressed his frustration with me not caring about him or checking on him. And I thought about it for a week or two and I wrote back and I said, okay, well, what would you like? And he said, well, I want us to be in each other's lives. And I said, well, we can be in each other's lives with mutual respect and boundaries. And his response was shocking. Instead of manipulating me or trying to control me, he just said, okay, how can we do that? And I said, well, why don't we have a phone call once a month to start off? And I'll see you at least for half a day every time I'm in town because I had been visiting my hometown and not seeing him. And that began the beginning of our relationship from 2020 up until his passing just a few, just a month ago. And what I noticed in him is that he was a completely different person. And now that I realize it, There's this thing that you're told when you heal, when you break your own generational curses, that you'll heal the generations behind you. And I really didn't know what that meant. I just thought that it would mean that the generations going forward would not be in the same patterning because you broke the patterning. Telling you, healing myself truly did heal my father. I have never experienced him be in such a balanced state of mind as I had in the last two years that I experienced him. And he knew that I was doing well and he never asked me for anything outside of expectations. He never asked me for financial support. He never asked me for any kind of help. He never asked me to you know, buy things for him or do things for him outside of just a relationship, just showing up and spending time together. And And, you know, he really was that way for the two years that I knew him. And he would always care for me and he would give me practical advice and make sure that I was taken care of. Well, have you thought about this? And do you have good insurance? And do you, you know, maybe you should buy a car um, because I don't know about you being in Ubers all the time. And, you know, it's just very interesting how he cared about me these past two years. And then we 
you know, fast forward to a month ago when he passed away. And what I understand about souls is, is I really follow Dolores Cannon's work on this. And we are in these, we are consciousness who are in these bodies, these vehicles for the time that we're here on this 3D planet called Earth. And we have the five senses and we get to experience Earth and all the emotions that come along with it. And then our vehicle expires. In his case, he expired in September and his consciousness went back to creator, source, God, the universe. And so while it's very sad that I won't get to interact with his consciousness here anymore through 3D form, I won't get to hear him tell me the things that he would say. And I won't get to see him experience himself in this balanced version of himself. I do know that his consciousness lives on and it's just back where we came from and it's where we all go after this. And so for that reason, I do have a lot of comfort. And I asked him when he was dying, you know, are you ready for this? And he said, yes, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting in this body. You know, there's nothing really I'm excited about to live for. And, you know, that was his own life. He, he hadn't created hobbies for himself or a life outside of having been have or being a worker, working his whole life. So when he retired, his health really did go downhill. And, you know, so, so we had those conversations and he understood, you know, where you go after this. And I appreciated him for all the lessons he taught me. And in fact, if you go to my social media on my Instagram, I share lessons from my father and it's nine lessons that I have from him over my lifetime. And what I'm choosing to do is to remember the good things that he taught me instead of the negative patterns, because I've already removed the negative patterns from myself in my somatic healing and my personal development course that I did last year in Austin called Ascension Leadership Academy. And so through that, I'm not going to choose to dwell on the negative anymore. I do understand my past patterns where they came from, but it's not necessary for me to go back into those memories all the time. Instead, my memories are going to be from the great things that he taught me and the lessons that I learned through being his daughter. And that's how we truly evolve. What a great story. And thank you for sharing that very personal story. And by the way, Dolores Cannon was a good friend of this program. We did a few conferences together, she and I. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let me just read this, which is very, very compelling to what you just said about the story of your father and so on. Two twin boys were raised by, you probably have heard this before, two twin boys were raised by an alcoholic father. One grew up to be an alcoholic. And when asked what happened, he said, I watch my father. The other grew up and never drank in his life. When he was asked what happened, he said, I watched my father. So two boys, same dad, two different perspectives. Your perspective in life will determine your destination. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So your perspective is going to be a makeup of what you've lived through and how you choose to interpret it. So I could look at my father having been a smoker and an alcoholic and said, oh, well, this is just what we do. And I could have chosen to do that too. Or I could look at that and say, nah, that doesn't really work for him. And it really doesn't work for me. And that's not what we do. And so that's really the perspective that I chose. And now when you look at other people, and this is very interesting, and it's difficult to anchor this in, but when you look at other people and you have a thought about that person, it's always your perspective and never fully that person. And your perspective is going to be based on your lived experiences and how you choose to view it. So I'll give you this as an example. I call it level three interactions or level three perspectives. So if you have level one, I'll describe a very basic situation. Say you're out at dinner and a woman comes up and throws a glass of water on you. A level one perspective or reaction would be, oh, well, what are you doing? And throw a glass of water back. A level two reaction or perspective would be to think, ah, something must be going on with her. She must be having a rough day to have thrown a glass of water on me. A level three perspective and reaction, this is very hard for for people to anchor, is to ask yourself, what is it about me that attracted that to me? So when I say this, I say this because I married a person who was just like my father in his patterning. And then I went on to date a few people and a lot of them, especially my most recent boyfriend had the same patterning, addiction, emotional unavailability, 
slightly controlling, slightly narcissistic, you know, a few things like that. And as I lie there crying one night, having been in the same fight as I had been with my husband, but with a new boyfriend, I asked myself, Bridget, you didn't get it. What is it about you that has caused you to end up in this situation again? I didn't get mad at him for what happened. I didn't say, oh, something must be going on with him, which it was. I landed on what is it about me that makes this situation show up in my life? And what I landed on was, I have the pattern from childhood, and this is my computer programming, and I have got to uninstall this computer programming. And that led me to ayahuasca. And I say this with caution. Ayahuasca, mushrooms, psilocybin, anything like that is going to open your third eye. You cannot open your third eye unless you are ready. So I began my spiritual journey first. I began meditating first. I understood chakras and alignment and manifesting first. And then I allowed those things to come into my life as a tool to help me along in my journey. So that is how I prepared. Now I did ayahuasca in April of 2021. And what's interesting is in my journey, I had a very, very good journey with ayahuasca because I had been preparing for it, planning for it. And I had also been microdosing psilocybin up until this point, which I'll tie this into the conversation about the health system later. But ayahuasca, you know, I remember I was a very masculinized person and you, you take the drink, you take the tea, and then you put your headphone, your head, your eye mask on and you wait 20 minutes for it to digest and kick in. And so in the 20 minutes, I was in my head really going on and on with myself about, all right, listen, you, you were told to mother, uh, you have to follow mother ayahuasca. You have to follow her lead. You have to go where she tells you. You have to uh, walk open through whatever door she opens. You can't resist her. I'm just in my head like, rah, 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 we're going to do this and that, right? And Mother Hiawaska snaps in and just loud, booming voice. Stop with all your words and all your thinking all the time and just feel. And I thought, okay, uh, how do we do that? <laughs> and so... What I realized is I needed to feel. And then I got in my head again thinking, uh, all right, you got to feel. You got to just feel the music. And I was like, Bridget, you're doing it again. You got to stop with the words and just literally just flow. And so I was like, okay, flow. And then I was like, that's the last word I'm going to say to myself. And so I imagined myself kind of being, you know, a floating jelly blob, if you will, just floating through the wind and the breeze is blowing, the trees and, and the flowers and there's butterflies everywhere. And so I understood what it meant to feel. Now, mind you, in the ayahuasca ceremony, there was a sound bath with all the instruments and someone singing, and it was beautiful, right? So I just flowed with the music. And then you have the choice to do it again a second time in the same night. So I took another drink, and in this journey, I felt all of my feelings that I had been masking for probably 10 years, at least for the last five, because that would have been the two leading up to my marriage and the three that I had been divorced at that point. And I cried the entire time. You can have a type of relief, a release with ayahuasca, and it can either be throwing up, digestive upset, or crying. And mine was crying because I hadn't been willing to do it. And what I learned in that was, oh, it's safe to feel your feelings. It's safe to, this is okay I'm fine. This isn't so bad after all. Why haven't I been doing this? And Mother Ayahuasca really taught me from now on, it's okay to feel your heart. It's okay to feel your feelings. Yes, having felt your feelings in the past has led to pain, but that's where the meat of life is. You can't shut your life off. You can't shut out the emotions in order to stop feeling pain because you're going to stop feeling everything. You'll, be, you'll not just be numb to the pain. You'll be numb to the pleasure. You'll be numb to the joy of life. And so I finished my ayahuasca journey and probably two weeks after that, it just dawned on me. I have to leave San Diego. It's not serving me anymore. And this is the city where I had a huge network. I was 40 under 40. And I just said, oh, it's time to sort of grow up and go to another city and see if you can do the same thing in a new city and get to the next level of life. And so it was, it was, April, it was May of 2020, 2021. It was May of 2021 that I left San Diego took a couple weeks with my family over in the Outer Banks, and then I moved to Miami, where I live now. Such an incredible story. 
And what you said about mm-hmm. ayahuasca, obviously it was under the guy, the, the, the direction of a shaman, I presume, right? Absolutely. Yes, this is yeah, something shaman. that we've been discussing this for years here because all these plants and herbs are out there in nature. And when yes. you see, why is it that many of them are outlawed? And it makes you wonder yeah. if they want to outlaw that so that we mm-hmm. can always stay in the matrix, that demonize it, you know, magic mushrooms, psilocybin. I have a friend who years ago told me, you know what? I am so successful here, but I tried this and it told me to move to an island in the Caribbean. And he's yeah. there right now. You always talk yeah. to him. He's high on life, tells me, you need to try this. My only issue yeah. with that is that I always want to be in control. My only concern about trying any of these hallucinogens is because I want to be in control. I, you know, I years that. ago I spoke with Dr. Rick Strassman. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, he mm-hmm. wrote the book, the D- uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. And he told me, I've, I've said this story a million times, but I'll tell you, you probably know it. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had one of this, uh, this test subjects who was a successful attorney. And he went through the process of DMT microdosing. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. he said that what he saw was himself saving babies, saving babies yeah. and bringing babies to the world. The moment mm-hmm. he left, he said, I'm done with the legal practice. I'm going to medical yeah. school and I'm going to become an obstetrician. And he does that mm-hmm. now and he's happy. So do we have to go through a hallucinogenic journey in order to discover who we truly are? So I'll put it this way. I, once again, God, universe, source spoke to me twice. I read a book by Michael Pollan called How to Change Your Mind. Now, previously, I had read a different book by Michael Pollan. So I trusted his opinion and his authority. And he goes into psilocybin, LSD, Timothy Leary, all of what was happening in the 70s in his book. It's a really fascinating story. And I thought, okay, this is interesting because the science says, could you grab her and bring her to me? Because the science says, that it can it can treat PTSD, bipolar, depression, anxiety, all sorts of things. And I thought, yeah, I have my father's genetics. Just put her on the floor. I have my father's genetics. And I'm concerned that maybe, because I've had a few episodes in the past where I would swing emotionally from one side to the other. So I thought maybe I should give this a try so I can balance my own brain. Okay. Now, two weeks later, I was home with my family for Christmas. So I read Michael Pollan's book at the end of 2019. Two weeks later, I was at home with my family for Christmas and I happened to wander into the living room. They had the TV on and there was a 60 minutes episode that said, coming up on 60 minutes next, we're going to talk about magic mushrooms, psilocybin, LSD, and how they can help bipolar, anxiety, and depression. And I thought, this is the second time I'm hearing this in like two weeks. I think there's something there. I think I'm being given a message again. So then I came back to San Diego in 2020 and I asked my friends, hey, how do you access psilocybin? Like, What do we do? And being in a very social group, there was someone who knew where to get psilocybin. And so I was able to find access to that and start microdosing. And I'll put it this way. It completely changed my brain. It completely grounded me, centered me, and it opened up my mind so that I could heal. And here's how. Michael Pollan puts it like this. Imagine that your brain has ski slopes in your brain. Now you go skiing, you've got like four or five major runs, right? And those are the ski slopes that have been carved into the snow. What psilocybin and mushrooms, LSD, or any of the other stuff ayahuasca can do is it will glaze over the ski slopes and allow you to cut new ski slopes. And I mean a hundredfold. So instead of having five ski slopes, might have 500. And what I mean by that is there's a very prominent image of two brains side by side. And one of them is a brain that shows normal neural connections across the the brain. The other image shows the brain after having done psilocybin or LSD, and it shows all of the new neural connections that have been made across the brain once you take something, a substance like this or plant medicine like this. 
And so it opens up your mind and it opens up your neural connections that were not available before. And here's why I think that, because from a very young age, your, your brain wants to be lazy and it wants to come to a conclusion as fast as possible so it can save calories and and a burn rate it, so that it can save its energy. And so even in babies, for example, if you don't speak a native language to a baby when they're a brand new baby between zero and one years old, the brain will start to hear that language as gibberish and factor it out. That ski slope is wiped out of the brain. But if you speak to a baby in multiple languages from zero to one, then those ski slopes stay open throughout the child's life. They can even learn a language and be able to speak it in the fluent tongue because you're not having to reopen that ski slope later. And so what I've noticed is psilocybin and through microdosing in 2020, which led me to ayahuasca in 2021, completely opened up my brain and it completely opened up new neural connections so that I could rewire my patterning so that I could open up my heart and my feelings and stop having this fake masculine shield that I had all the time. Now, you don't necessarily have to do something like this. Just know that it's probably going to be a lot more work for you otherwise if you choose not to take on a plant medicine to help you with the work. But mind you, at the time I was 36, very frustrated, and I wanted to be at a different place in life. And I didn't want to wait 20 years to get there. So I chose the faster route through psilocybin and ayahuasca. And to synchronize both hemispheres of the brain, I've been using, you know, binaural beats by Stephen Halpern for Mm -hmm. years. And these are things Mm -hmm. that, let me ask you this. When you were in the corporate world, when I was in the corporate world, maybe 20, 25 years ago, you less than that, obviously. But back Mm -hmm. then, I would never consider discussing these topics in the future. If you told me, by the way, Mel, in the next 10, 20 years, you're going to be speaking of these subjects. You're going to be speaking with Bridget Brick, talking about all these things. I would have thought you were crazy. But you know, things happen in life that bring you here. And it's almost like you have to vibrate at a certain frequency. Some people who unfortunately have bad uh, romantic uh, relationships, multiple divorces, they wonder, why is it that I always do the same thing? Is it because they're vibrating at the same frequency of the person that they're attracting? So you're going to be vibrating at the pattern that got installed in you when you were young. And there will be something that happened in your life between zero and eight years of age that will cause a programming or patterning in you. And trauma can be something as little as you didn't get a birthday present at your birthday party, or your siblings got better gifts than you and you never got a gift as good as them, or your sibling got a gift at their own birthday party and you didn't. And that made you feel like you weren't worthy, you weren't valued, you weren't important, So it can be as simple as that, right? And I say simple because, I mean, there's some very deep things that can happen as trauma. People can be molested. People can be beaten. People can be traumatized, tortured. So it runs the gamut. But the the point is there will be a trauma that you have suffered that will cause a patterning in you. And whatever you learn from that patterning. So for me, when my dad threw the coffee table across the living room, what, what went into my patterning was that I can't trust men, that I must fend for myself, and that I am not worthy of love. And so that's the patterning I carried through. And that is who I chose as a partner with someone who reflected that patterning back to me. He reflected back to me that in this marriage, I'm going to have to fend for myself. In this marriage, I'm not fully worthy of love. And in this marriage, I cannot really trust a man to protect me or provide for me fully. And so then as I go into other relationships, I experience the same patterning. So you will always find a person who is going to reflect a pattern back to you that you carry on the inside. It may not necessarily be that they're at the same vibration. They're probably going to be at a similar vibration because if you're vibrating high, you won't be attracted to someone who's vibrating lower. But what I'm saying is, it's the patterning that gets reflected back because life is a mirror. And if you think about it, the only way to really experience yourself is to experience yourself through other people. Imagine if you're out on an island by yourself, you don't get to really experience yourself that much. But if you're having a conversation, you're experiencing half of yourself and then half of the person you're interacting with, or you're experiencing your pattern, your parent, you're experiencing half of their pattern and half of yours. So you get to go around the world, experiencing yourself through different people. And the ones that you 
want to be around more, whether it's in a business relationship or in a romantic relationship, are going to be people who are going to reflect back to you the patterning and the beliefs that you have about yourself. Now, I'll give you this example. In 2021, we were just coming out of the pandemic. I had left my uh, my tech startup work. I had stopped doing my consulting work and I was looking for something new. But I had been traveling for nine months. So I had also been a little bit reckless and spent all of my money. And I was kind of in a desperate situation. I was in a state of need. I was needy. I was in a codependent taker sort of mentality because most people are codependent on some level. So I was in a codependent state of take or need. I was, you know, um, I, I was not vibrating from a state of, of wholeness and from a state of worthiness. And so when I took on the project with the person that I took it on with, it lasted for a long time, but I noticed through the project that there started to be resentment from their end because they, by giving me, or he, by giving me this, this role was in a state of codependent giving, which I've been both a codependent giver and a codependent taker. I've had probably six relationships in my lifetime, both friendship work and romantic, where I was in a state of codependency. And I can talk more about those. But in this particular case, he is the type of person who had a pattern of needing to be validated. And the way that he became validated was by codependently giving, overly giving. And so maybe they paid me a little too much. Maybe, you know, they weren't in a position to hire me when they did, but because I convinced him to hire me because of the position I was in and I was in a codependent state of need, then he was in a, or yeah, then he was in a codependent state of giving. So that created the pattern between us, right? And this was just a business relationship. And so this can happen, whether it's business or romantic or friendships. And what I noticed is through this working relationship, there began to be resentfulness because that's what happened in a codependent giver is they will give with an expectation that they never communicate. And then there will be resentment because they don't receive from you whatever it is they wanted by giving you the situation in the first place. And so being in that state of codependency, I was receiving a pattern based on who I was. Now, I started a personal development course called Ascension Leadership Academy that completely changed and 10xed my life. I started that in July of 2021. And we have coaches, and this lasts about four or five months, this process. And in this process, you have to call whenever you have a situation come up. So I would call when this situation came up, and I would say, this is going on in this working relationship. And my coach would ask me, if you're 100% responsible for your life 100% of the time, how is this your fault? And I would be furious. What do you mean? I'm being treated like this. And he's yelling at me and saying these things. And finally it dawned on me after the third time, I am in this situation because I entered this business relationship in a codependent state of need. And I need to vibrate out of being that type of energy. Now, what's interesting is after my course was complete, I did vibrate out of that energy. And what'll happen when you vibrate out of that energy is if you formed a relationship, business, personal, friendship, romantic, if you formed one of these relationships in a certain vibration and you now vibrate out, you're not going to be a match for that person or situation any longer. And either that person's energy will vibrate up with you or the two of you will have to part ways, which is eventually what happened. And how I ended up launching my own brokerage is I realized the pattern wasn't working anymore for me. I didn't want to experience his perception of me any longer. And I had vibrated out of a pattern such that I needed to create my own business. And I had already created four other businesses. So why not take this on my own and use my wonderful network and my message to be able to share with the world and with America what it is that I do. Speaking of your business, we have to take our one and only break. Tell the audience, how can people learn more about your work, your business, what exactly do you do now so we can take a break and then we come back for another hour? Sure. So I, let me back up. I like to go why, how, and what. My why is that I want people to be able to escape the nine to five matrix system, the structure that's been laid across us by having, and, and to have freedom. So my why is that I want people to help escape the nine to five matrix system, the typical jobs, the structure, 
that has been laid across our society and I want them to have freedom, freedom of choice and financial freedom. My what is that I help people, their money go to work for them. So I help people's money go to work for them. And my how is I provide investment property loans. So if you want to buy an investment property, whether that's an Airbnb or a long-term rental, you would come to me for a loan because my loans don't look at your W-2s, your income, your tax returns, or your um, employment in order to qualify you. They only look, my loans only look at your credit score. Do you have 20% down payment? And the last thing is, does the income of the property cover the cost of the loan? Now it has to cover the entire cost of the loan, the taxes, insurance, everything. But as long as that's covered, then you're able to get a loan with me. And so my loans are a tool to help people to be able to escape that nine to five matrix system and be able to have their money work for them. And you are removing a lot of the fear because I see everybody knows when they think of mortgage, they think underwriters, they think of the, 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 the credit worthiness that they have and all the parameters that are scary to a lot of people and all the qualifications. But this is just something new. And I want you to really explain this when we come back in addition, we're going to be talking about the education system, personal finance, consumerism, music, personal development, health, and how to escape the mainstream narrative, otherwise known as the matrix. I'm privileged, I'm privileged here to be with Bridget Brick for the first time on Veritas. I'm El Hosterick. One more hour to come. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Subscribe today. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share the video. Click on the notification button to be alerted when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know.